My name is Panayota and I started attending this past summer in June. So basically I was in the process of looking for a church and someone from a different church gave me a card and I went online and there was a six week women's Bible study for the summer and I thought well I could commit to six weeks. It'd be a great way to come in and meet the people of the church. So that's what I did. I signed up. One of the things that they did is have us sit in different tables, so we get to meet pretty much everyone at some point in time and have a conversation. And through that process, I actually met two ladies, one of them named Janelle and then her sister named Jenny. And we just hit it off the minute we met. One of the topics came up about attending church, and I remember just not feeling that comfortable coming by myself. And the two of them were like, come sit with us, come sit with us. And I could tell they really meant it, like they were genuine. And so they invited me and I met them on a Sunday morning. For me, it's been a huge blessing. So I would say to, to anyone else, you never know who you're sitting next to anywhere at work, Bible study, um, even when you come to church in the morning, everybody wants to feel like they belong. I would say to anyone, don't be afraid of inviting someone because you're extending belonging to someone and everybody needs that. And, and that was my experience. Well, great to see all of you today in New City. I love that story because it reminds us together as a church that this is not a club for religious people, right? It's a family for forgiven people. And when you believe in Jesus, it's not just about believing in Jesus, it's also about belonging to Jesus and belonging to one another. And that's what the church is. And we wanna be a place where folks can belong to Jesus, but also that we belong to one another. And I'm so grateful for those stories and, and so many of them that are playing out across our campuses here at New City. We're in a series entitled Witness. And if you have a copy of the scriptures, I wanna encourage you to open to Acts chapter four. Our series Witness has been a journey through the book of Acts, and we're going to continue that throughout the year. And last week, we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, just to give a little bit of a, a recount. Uh, we talked about uh, Peter and John uh, standing before the Sanhedrin, which was, of course, the, the Supreme Court of Israel. It was Caiaphas, the high priest, and 70 other priests that they stood before. And they boldly proclaimed in the name of Jesus all that was happening and all that was happening inside of them. And they gave witness to the fact that all of their authority and power came from the name of Jesus. And we talked about that there's something about that name, the name of Jesus. If you go through chapter 4 and Acts, and I hope that you will, you read it on your own, go and circle how many times the word name appears. There's something about the name of Jesus. Kings and kingdoms may all pass away but there's something about the name Jesus. And we talked about last week, again, just by way of recap, looking at Peter and John before the Sanhedrin and this incredible boldness. We talked about our boldness for witness to other people comes from being with God. We said, if you wanna be bold for Jesus, you've got to what? You gotta be with Jesus. Boldness comes from being. And I wanna just take that a little bit further this morning and then we'll jump into our text. If you are, are intimidated by other people, all of us go through times where we're intimidated by other people, where we feel insecure. Oftentimes, right, the, the answer to, to being intimidated by other people, uh, more times than not, is to, be, is to be intimate with God. If you struggle with being intimidated by other people, the answer is in being more intimate with God. 
when we're intimate with God, we find ourselves being less intimidated by the other people in our lives. And we see that on display here in Acts chapter 4 as Peter and John are not intimidated by the most powerful people in the land because they've what? They've been intimate with Jesus. They've been with him. They know him. And out of being comes boldness. And the same is true for us. Think about this story, right? Peter himself goes from denying Jesus not too many days before this to boldly declaring Jesus, that name Jesus. How does someone go from denying, from walking away from Jesus, from denying that he ever knew him three different times to boldly declaring Jesus? Did you know that Jesus actually spoke this into existence? He spoke over this in Peter's life. He, he prophesied that this would happen. A friend of mine sent me a, a, a scripture this week in response to last week's message, and the scripture is Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Look at the screens, on the screens with me. Jesus says to Peter, speaking about this event, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your, listen to this, that your faith may not fail. And then Jesus says to Peter, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What does that mean, when you have turned again? What is Jesus talking about? Uh, Peter had said to Jesus in, in John 13, I'll follow you anywhere. Do you remember that? Everybody else may go away, Jesus, but not me. I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, you cannot follow me now but you will follow me after. What is Jesus talking about? What is he speaking about over Peter's life that's going to happen? Andrew Murray says it this way, the great South African theologian and writer, he says, Peter was not in a fit place to follow Christ because he had not been brought to the end of himself. He did not know himself and therefore he could not follow Christ. But when he went out and wept bitterly, then came the great change. This is the point where Peter was converted, listen to this, from self to Jesus. Peter did not fully know himself, and therefore he could not fully follow Jesus. What does that mean for our lives? If you don't know the depths of your own depravity and your own brokenness, then you can't know the amazing grace of Jesus. When Peter comes to terms with the depths of his own depravity and his brokenness, the fact that he denied Jesus three different times, even though he said he never would, then in that moment he goes out and he weeps bitterly and he comes to the end of himself. And it's out of that place that he's able to be converted from self to Jesus. And that's where he goes from denying to what? To declaring. This past week, I actually was uh, at Robbins Air Force Base, and I want to thank each of you, New City, for allowing me to, to minister to airmen in that place. And that's really just a, a place of mission for me personally to go and to serve in that way. And this was my, my week, one of my weeks to go and serve and be there. And the week started out in a very, very difficult way. I got a phone call as a chaplain to go to a squadron and to, to give a death notification. And that's the, one of the hardest things that we do. And in this case, it was an airman that decided to take his life. And so had to be there that morning, and I shouldn't say had, got the opportunity to be there. 
and, and I was the one to tell them and was able to, to counsel with several, several airmen and to, to pray with them. And, and I tell you that to say not, not only thank you, but, but out of that, I went back to the office of the chapel. I'm sitting there at my desk thinking about all this. And I look over at the shelf of books in the office, and there on the shelf was Andrew Murray's book, Absolute Surrender. And no kidding, I pulled the book off the shelf, was thinking about all this, thinking about the passage I had just texted Jen about, the passage here from Luke 22, and the whole going from denying to declaring and Peter's transformation and all this. And I opened the book to this page, and I brought a picture just to show you, and this doesn't happen every week in sermon preparation, I promise. But I opened the book, and no kidding, it fell to chapter 4, talking about this very passage. And this quote that I just read to you about this conversion from self to Jesus. And the idea of it wasn't until Peter came to the end of himself that he was able to to fully follow Jesus and go to declaring with boldness the name of Jesus to others. And, And again, Jesus prophesied about this over Peter's life. He said, strengthen your brothers, you know, after you've turned. After you've come to the end of yourself, you'll be positioned to to strengthen your brothers in fellowship with one another. When we allow God to turn us again, we're even stronger and we're positioned, right, to strengthen other people. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Do you remember? He says, out of the comfort that you've received, you will do what? You'll comfort other people. Out Out of the comfort that you yourself receive from God, you'll comfort other people. And I think that's very specific, church, that when God comforts you and and your uh, brokenness and your despair and your disappointment and your hurt and your pain and your suffering, when God comforts you, you're able to take that comfort and not only have it for yourself for healing, but you're able to comfort other people. So some of you have walked through bitter divorces. Some of you have walked through situations where people have have said, I don't love you anymore, and they've walked out on you, or or a child who's uh, spoken harshly to you, or your words uh, being harsh to a child, or something in your place of business where there's been an incredible amount of brokenness and disappointment and pain and God has met you in that place and it's out of those places that God not only heals our hearts but prepares us to to heal and to help other people anybody with me today anybody with me every bit of your story is useful in God's hands Every single bit of your story is useful in God's hands. And we learn that from the very story of Peter. Even his past denials and disappointments in God's hands are used to then go and encourage his brothers. It doesn't have to be a waste, guys. The disappointments and denials and pain of your past do not have to be wasted if you'll place them in God's hands. Let Christ restore you. Let God give you a new story. This is something so incredible about our God. He doesn't just erase our stories as if they never happened. He transforms our stories. He restores our stories. And he allows us to use every single bit of them to encourage other people so that we go from fearful denials to bold declarations in the name of Jesus. So let's continue the story today with that in mind. In Acts chapter 4, let's look at verses 23 through 31. This is the response of the church to this opposition that they begin to face in chapter 4. Look at verse 23. Let's begin there in Acts chapter 4. When they were released, who's they? Peter and John. When they are released, 
they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, and who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May God bless the reading of his word to each and every one of you. We see here in this text the response of the church to opposition. The early church's response to those who are persecuting and coming against them. And this is something that we need to pay attention to and learn ourselves today as a church. Their response was simply two things. And if you have a, a pen or a, a marker or a crayon or some eyeliner or a piece of bark or anything that you can write with or jot down on your phone, take a few notes on this because we need to learn this as a church today as we face our own per persecution and opposition in life today. Their response was two things. They got together and they went to God. Their response to opposition was to get together and to go to God. Let's look first at getting together, verses 23 and 24. They got together, they, let's use the word, they fellowship together, that word, community. They came together. Look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. Circle that in your Bibles if you're following along with me. Acts 4, 23, when they were, were released, they went to their friends. The church, our community is a place where we have friendship with one another. Now let's just put this in context because we learn in, in verse 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, that the church is 5,000 men plus. That doesn't include women and children. The church is over 10,000 people at this point. They can't go to the whole church. They can't be gathered together in one place. So when they're released in, from in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the council, this persecution and opposition, they go to their friends. They go to the people that they're closest with. And this is so significant. We don't know who was in the room, but we know it was close friends. It might have included the 120 original that were in the upper room in chapter 1. It might have just been the original apostles. We don't know. But we know that it was Peter and John's friends. And the church should be a place where you can make friendships. Where you can be known and you can know. And isn't that, after all, the cry of the human heart? To know and to be known. That's the best de definition I know of intimacy. To know and to be known. 
And to know and to be known happens best in circles, in relationships, face to face with one another. And the best way for that to happen at New City is to be in a group. And yes, I'm going to give a shameless plug here for community groups. Because all of us need to participate in community. And we can call it all kinds of different things. Bible studies, Sunday schools, life groups, home groups, cell groups, uh, whatever. The bottom line is it's biblical community. We're living life together. And I'm just pleading with you to not allow a row to be your last stop here at New City. Move from the row that you're seated in today into a circle. We actually have next step class today across all of our campuses. It's the easiest way to get connected. When Peter and John were released, they went to their friends. They went to close relationships. And the church should be a place where you can have close relationships and friendships. We desire for no one to walk alone at New City. There's something about having a bold witness. Listen to this. There's something about having a bold witness to people who are far from God, which God's called each of you to have in your places of business, in your neighborhoods, in your own families, to have a bold witness to people who are far from God. But listen, that has to be coupled with close friendships with people who are close to God. Your bold witness to people who are far from God has to be coupled with close friendships with people who are close to God. People in the church that you can share life with. So who would you go to today? If you were in this situation like Peter and John are, who would you go to? To tell them about the power of God. To tell them about the problems that you're experiencing or seeing in God's world. Who would you go to? And and noticed here in the text that as they, they go and they're with their friends and they're together, when they begin to to speak and report, it's not about the sermon that Peter preached, which was a great sermon. And it wasn't about the miracle that took place of the lame man that was healed, which was an incredible demonstration of God's power. They They don't talk about that, do they? They don't talk about themselves, do they? Peter and John don't. When they gather together with their friends, what do they talk about? They talk about what the scribes and the elders and the religious leaders, what they said to them, namely to stop preaching and teaching and doing miracles in the name of Jesus. They report back to them what the religious leaders have said. And it shows us their primary concern was still for the lost people, namely the religious institution and leaders who were forbidding them to speak in the name of Jesus. We see something of the heart of Peter and John here. And that kind of parlays from being together and reporting that into this second part of what their response was to opposition, which was what? To go to God. Not only did they come together, that's important in relationship and friendship. And in the church, we have to come together. But we also have to do what? We have to go to God. And that happens through prayer here. And this is an incredible prayer. And again, I want to encourage each of you across our campuses and venues and online today to take some notes on this prayer. It's an incredible prayer for us to learn from. They begin and their response is to to go to God. It would have been easy just to say, oh, that was so hard and to engage in all kinds of conversations and maybe some gossip about the religious leaders, maybe talk about how bad they had it, to do all kinds of different stuff. But we don't read that. Their first response, their reaction to this report is to do what? It's to pray, to go to God in prayer. And Luke, or uh, Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 24, the second part of it, Luke captures the, the theme of this prayer. 
which is really the, the sovereignty and the, the power of God. Look, look, look at it with me. It's captured here in verse 24. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The prayer begins not with their request, but by declaring the matchless character of God. These Christ followers recognized God's sovereignty and control, and they worshiped him. Watch this, guys. Not so much for all the things that were happening around them, even though they could have talked about all the wonderful things that God was doing. They worshiped him, and they prayed first and foremost because of who God was. That he's the one that created the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything. Our prayers should begin with talking about who God is. By proclaiming in prayer the matchless character of the one true God. And when we pray, we pray to a God, we're reminded here. We pray to a God who is in complete control of his world because he made the world and everything in it. Begin your prayers, friends. Begin your prayers with the character of God. Declare to him and one another as you're gathered together in prayer the matchless character of God, of who he is, the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. Never changing. And then secondly, not only do they, they talk about the character of God, the matchless character of God, but they quote the scriptures. Look at verses 25 and 26. They quote the scriptures in their prayer. Again, as we look at this prayer, it's an incredible uh, structure for us to, to pray our own prayers out of. They begin with character, and then they go to scripture. And look at verse 25. This is an incredible statement about the word of God. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Now let's just stop right there. Verse 25. Who through the mouth, our God, who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And who through the mouth of our, your servant David spoke by the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe about every single word in Scripture. That these aren't just the words of men. That these are the very words of God. That they are truly and fully from God. Totally the word of God. This is the miracle of the scriptures captured in verse 25 here. That through people, broken people like David, God himself spoke. And now we're able to listen. And then they quote from Psalm 2. This is actually Psalm 2 that they're quoting from about the, the nations raging against the coming Messiah, Jesus, and how God would ultimately overcome their rebellion, not only through the work of Jesus, but the work of Jesus' followers, namely the church. And what we see here, again, modeled for us in prayer as we not only come together but go to God is that we pray his character and we pray the scriptures and we don't just rely in our prayers on spontaneous words. That's not to say that you can't uh, pray and just, just pray the words that the Spirit gives to you and pray spontaneously. Of course you can. But that shouldn't be the only prayers that you're praying. You should pray the scriptures back to God and to one another. When you pray, when you pray, open up the scriptures. When you read the word of God, whatever that looks like for you and the place that you do that, pray out of opening the word of God and reading the scriptures. And I want to encourage you, and I'm not getting anything for this. This is the, the, the scripture that I use and preach from. It's an ESV Crossway Bible. Again, 
I'm not getting anything from this. Get whatever Bible you want to get. But I'm showing it to you because it's a journal Bible. And I buy one every single year that I preach from. But also on either side of the page are places to take notes. And I love this because I can write down things that the Spirit speaks to me as I'm reading the Scriptures. And I can also write down my prayers for many of you and other people that I'm praying for. And they're tied directly to Scripture. And I want to encourage you not just to, 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 to rely on your own words, but to go to God's Word. And to pray God's word back to God and to one another. This is so helpful, right? Because it aligns our hearts with God's truth. Everyone watch this for a second. We live in a world where people are constantly chasing after the latest voice to hear from. Am I right about that? We're constantly seeking different voices that we can listen to. And new voices arise and we want to chase after them. And, and they go down and then another voice arises. And we've, we're chasing after voices constantly to hear. And here's the incredible thing for us as Christ followers. Everyone listening? We don't have to chase different voices. We can go to a verse. Because in these verses is the voice of God to us. And we can open up the scriptures and we can hear from God. So you don't have to chase after a voice. You can go to a verse. And we can not only be edified by that verse ourselves, but we can pray it to God and to one another, declaring God's truth to ourselves and to one another in prayer. So they quote the scriptures in their prayer. And then, and then we see not only out of the, the character and quoting the scriptures and praying the scriptures together, but they talk about the, the control of God, the sovereignty of God. Remember, that's the theme of this prayer is God's sovereignty and his control. We see here in this prayer that God is indeed in control. Look at verses 27 and 28. They pray that truly in this city, what city? Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. And then look at, look at, look at this verse with me. If I've lost you, come back to me, okay? Acts chapter 4, verse 28. Look at this verse. To do whatever they pray, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Whatever your hand and whatever your plan had predestined to take place, that's what we're praying for today. Now think about this in the context of the prayer. The church is being pressed on every side persecuted, threatened, and they're able to gather together and pray to God this incredible prayer of God's sovereignty and control. Whatever your hand and your plan designs for us, that's our prayer. Don't you want that to be your prayer too? God, whatever your hand and your plan has in mind for my life, that's what I want my prayer to be. And we see an incredible declaration of God's sovereignty over his world. And each and every one of us. In other words, let me say it this way. God never says, oops. God never says, oops. We don't understand all of his plans. We don't understand all of his ways. We don't understand all the, the answers to the, the questions that we ask of why, but we can trust that nothing comes into your life that hasn't been sifted through the sovereign fingertips of a God who loves you, who loves you, and who wants to be with you. And we see on display here in this passage 
the combination of human responsibility, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and, and the, uh, the religious leaders, all of them in verse 27, coupled with divine authority. And the mystery of how those two work together, human responsibility and brokenness, but also divine authority and control over his world. We can be confident today, you can be confident today, that God is indeed working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the prayer that the early church is praying. In the midst of all the world falling apart around us, you, God, are in control. You, God, are in control of my life. And maybe that's a word for some of you today. Whatever your hand and your plan is predestined to take place, that is my prayer. And of course, the disciples had heard this prayer before, hadn't they? Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Whatever your hand and your plan has designed for my life, that today is my prayer. And there's a lot of whatever in your life, I know. I wonder what whatever represents for you today. I wonder what hard places and disappointments are represented in that word whatever for you today. May God give us the strength and the encouragement through his word to be able to pray this simple prayer, verse 28, whatever your hand and your plan has predestined for my life and your world, may it come to pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, Father. Whatever for the early church, just to remind us, whatever for the early church included a lot of rejection, didn't it? Oh yes, rejection and false accusations and injustices and, and beatings and mockery and ultimately lots and lots and lots of death. Whatever included so much persecution and yet they were able to pray this bold prayer together to God and may we be able to do the same. And then strikingly, here's what they don't pray. Verses 29 and 30, Acts chapter 4, follow along with me. Look at what they don't pray. Maybe just as much as what they do pray is what they don't pray for. They do not pray for the persecution to stop. Look at verse 29. Look upon the threats. Look upon everything that's happening around us. And, and let it stop, God, because we don't want to go through anything hard anymore. Look upon our life and give us comfort, God. Give us peace and prosperity and everything good. May the birds sing every morning and the sun come up every day and everything just be zippity-doo-dah for me for the rest of my life. Is that what they pray? They don't pray for that. In the midst of our world falling apart, in the, in the midst of this city being on fire with threats against us, grant that your servants would continue to do what? Speak your word with all boldness and stretch out your hand, verse 30, and heal and give signs and wonders that are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The apostles don't pray for persecution to stop. They pray for strength in the persecution. They don't pray for comfort and for safety. We grew up learning safety first, but that's not what the apostles pray for. They pray for boldness in the midst of a dangerous environment, of a city that's threatening them, of people who are persecuting them. They pray for boldness to proclaim 
and for God to boldly demonstrate through the name of Jesus. And then we get to the final verse here, verse 31. The Bible says here in Acts chapter 4 that as they were together and as they went to God in this prayer, when they had prayed and when they had prayed, that the place that they were gathered together in was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God, and here's our word, with boldness. The bottom line today for this passage is those first five words in verse 31. And when they had prayed. Because we see that they were together. But it wasn't just that they were together. They went to God. And out of those two things, being together in fellowship and going to God in prayer, God does something miraculous. The Bible says that that very place that they were gathered in, together and to, to, go, to, to go to God in prayer, that that place was what? It was shaken. The word that's used there is the same word for an earthquake. The whole place moved. It was shaken. It, it reminds us that, that Mount Sinai was, was shaken with the very presence of God. Do you remember that? It's the same word. The, the bones that, that Ezekiel prayed over and prophesied over were, were shaken because of the presence of God, filling them with life. The, the prison at Philippi was what? It was shaken because of the very presence of God. And, and here's my prayer, and, and may it be all of our prayer here at New City. May our story as a church together, may our story start with these five words. And when they had prayed together. And when they had prayed. And when they had had lifted up their voices and when they had gathered together and when they had come before God and when they had quoted the scriptures and when they had spoken about God's sovereignty and control and when they had prayed, the whole city was shaken. Your life is shaken. The whole world is shaken. Everything is changed when we come together and when we go to God. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and you made the earth. You made the sea and you made everything in them, including us. We pray today that whatever your hand and whatever your plan desires for our lives and for our church and for our city and for our world, that that would come to pass. And we pray that our lives today, Jesus, and we pray for the lives of, of the church, those who are gathered around us in our city, in our world, may our lives be shaken because of your power and your presence. We honor you today. We thank you for this word. We pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what it's calling us to and that you would now give us the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.